On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. Time right now to get caught up on all the happenings in the world of hard rock and heavy metal music. That's right. It's Geek Wire. Uh-huh. The Decibel Geek Podcast bringing it to you. Your only news source for the latest and greatest happenings in the world of hard rock and heavy metal music. Who better to bring it to you? Myself, Aaron Camaro, joined as always by my main man right here with his finger on the pulse of what's going on in the world. It's Chris Sinzak. What's happening, brother? Not much. Um, not like a lot of big stories in the rock world this week, but we're going to do the best to trudge along. There's a few interesting things I wanted to bring up, and uh, I'm ready to go if you are. Okay. Well, I mean, I just got to give a quick shout-out for our episode last week. People waited for it. Everybody was excited about it. Our top 10 albums apiece of 2023. We got some great responses. I just wanted to go through some of the comments real quick that we got about that because we asked you to tell us what you thought were the best. And so I look at the post on our Decibel Geek page, and I see Aaron Baker on here saying, uh, Hailstorm didn't come out in 2023. It came out in 2022. (laughs) I knew it. I knew there was something up with that. You just couldn't wait to bring this up, could you? Well, I'm just looking at the comments. Uh (laughs) Eric Luzier chimed in, man. He's got Alice Cooper at number one on his list. Mark Alden Taylor's got Metallica at number one. Ivan Galesic chimed in. He's got Spirit Adrift, an album I picked, Ghost of the Gallows, is number one. A band called Hell in the Club is number two. And Mystic Prophecy is number three. So two of those bands that we didn't even mention on the show. So like we say every year, there's so many that we thought there was like 200 albums that qualify. There's probably more like four but had a lot of fun with that, you know, getting some really great response from it. We always have a good time doing that every year. That's something that's fun because you think about it as the year goes on. Like, stuff comes out and you think, you know, I bet you this makes my top ten. Great response so far. We're putting out individual posts about each pick um, over the next few days. And a great response on those, too. So, uh, And even some of the bands have been sharing. Uh, thank you, Haunt, for, for sharing uh, the post about my pick of your album, Golden Arm. So That's thanks awesome. For that. Yeah, and uh, it's very cool, you know, to be able to do that and, you know, share it and get the word out, and it's a lot of fun, you know. It's it's fun to interact with everybody. So thanks to everybody that commented. I couldn't find the post in the community. Once that thing goes up, it gets buried and it's gone. <laughs> unless, it's an active community. Unless people keep commenting on it, I don't see it. So, yeah, once that's, poof, gone. So if you want to get in on the conversation, you want to hang out with other people that love hard rock and heavy metal music as much as we do, there you go. Perfect reason right there to join up on the Decibel Geek community on the Facebook. It's a group, and that's where everybody chills. So you can join in on that. You can talk about all the latest and greatest happenings in the world of rock and roll right there, too, in between each and every Geek Wire. Can I share the biggest news story to me uh, over the past week? Yeah. The Chiefs are going back to the Super Bowl. Yeah, they are. Yep. Ah, well, shit. 
we talked a little bit about that on Friday night. We did a Friday night live. It was kind of funny because it starts out and we got Tracy on and she's making the first big announcement for Rock and Pod. In case you missed it, that announcement is the next Rock and Pod is coming in the spring of 2025. So you got plenty of time to get ready for it. Get your finances together, get your plans together, your vacation plans, and make sure you get ready to join us in Nashville early 2025. And stay tuned to the Decibel Geek Podcast. As soon as that date is locked down, you're going to hear it here first. And we're going to be happy to bring you that news because we're excited for it too. So it's funny because we're doing that and we got a lot of people tuned in for Tracy. You know, they want to know what's up with Rock and Pod. And then we bring in Toomey and we bring in Baco and everybody starts talking about football. And next thing I know, we got 10 people watching. <laughs> it gets so bad that we do a couple of tournaments. And when, you know, as, as it goes, when we do these tournaments live like that, if it's a tie between the people hosting on the show that night, then the vote always goes to the people and we throw it to the people and get crickets. <laughs> So big. you know, Baco not bringing slobber knockers back now makes a lot more sense than it did before. Yeah, maybe it does. There's so many football podcasts out there. It's hard to have a rocking football podcast. So, just want to give a big shout out for uh, to Josh Toomey and and Baco for joining yeah. us on Friday night and ruining the show. <laughs> it was an always welcome round of ball busting, as it usually is. Usually with me as the butt of the joke, but yeah. uh, it was fun anyway. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. So Chris Sinzak and Taylor Swift, super excited right now. Oh, you got to do that. You gotta go <laughs> really? Hey, I ain't saying nothing bad. I just found out that one time Taylor Swift dressed up as Ace Fraley and got on stage. Yeah, and um, I remember when that happened because, like, Keith would Keith Urban would show his or would close his set with a song called Kiss a Girl. And as anyone who knows, usually the opening act, when it's their last show on a leg of a tour, they prank the headlining act. Right, yeah, that's a long-standing tradition. And Taylor Swift was the opening act, and it was her last gig on the tour. So since he was doing the song Kiss a Girl, her and her bandmates dressed up as Kiss, Taylor dressed up as Ace, and they came on stage and kind of mimicked like they were the members of Kiss. And when when it happened, I remember initially thinking... It was Paul Sedoti as a guy I used to know. I don't really know him now, although I did run into him at Night Night Ranger at the Ryman last year. Um, I I knew him before he got the gig as Taylor's guitar player. Then he got the gig, and like before he got the gig, when I interviewed him, he had been playing with like um, Eric Carmen of the Raspberries. He was from the Cleveland music scene, but he was a giant Kiss nerd and grew up a giant Kiss fan. And for a period of time, like he was the merchandise manager for Kiss on the Psycho Circus tour. Oh wow! So, so I I wanted to interview him at the time because he worked with Kiss because I'm a Kiss nerd. And then now he's got like the ultimate gig if you're a guitar player. I mean, he gets like everything's first class. He's playing stadium shows, you know. But I knew he was in the band. So when that whole prank thing happened, and I knew what a Kiss nerd he was, I was like, I bet that was Paul's idea. Yeah. And I hate that I'm hating myself because I ran into him at the Night Ranger show and made small talk for like five minutes and forgot to bring up to confirm that when I was talking to him. Oh shit! I just yeah. I just like the idea of you know, hey, we should do this. We we'll dress up like Kiss, and Taylor Swift goes, "All right, as long as I get to be Ace Frehley." Yeah. <laughs> so go Chiefs. 
but anyway, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. I and you know we're not going to make this into a football discussion, but um, no, we know what that does to the numbers. Yeah, exactly. But real quickly, uh, just as far as my own take as a diehard Kansas City Chiefs fan, even I am sick of all the cutaways to Taylor Swift. Yeah. It's not ruining my day or anything, and I'm not like you know disgruntled over it, but. I get the annoyance by it. And Travis, I've said in the past, Travis Kelsey is a great player, and I love him because he's on the Chiefs. If he was on another team, I would absolutely hate him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he's annoying. Perfect. I like his brother better than him. All right, some good old football talk. That sucks. Can we talk about Ozzy or something? Yeah, no, all that's getting cut out of the edit. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you might as well leave it in now. People need to know that Taylor Swift dressed as Ace Fraley. Now, as long as Ace Fraley doesn't show up and become a big 49ers fan all of a sudden, we'll be all right. Then we'll have problems. You'll be, you'll be okay. <laughs> but uh, no, it's a just it's kind of a light a light week this time with uh, Geek Wire. But no, there's some interesting story. Ozzy Osbourne, uh, you can rent his West Hollywood condo for a cool 9500 a month. Wow. Try to imagine what that would be like. Like you rent it, you go in, they bring you in, you'd be like, This is where's the skulls and where's the you know, like crosses on the walls and where's the you know, where's the bats and the cave and all that stuff. Like you want I want the Prince of Darkness's condo. It's a one bedroom, two bath in a high rise building with twenty four seven security, door attendance, valet parking and a front desk. Wow. So, uh, you know, Ozzy's living pretty much full-time in the U.K. now. Yeah. So that's, um, But they've got several several real estate investments. The amount of money that Ozzy's estate must be has to be astronomical. Oh, man. I mean, we all pitched in on it. He might be worth over a billion, don't you think? I would think so when you consider in, like, you know, his image and marketing and the books yeah. and the music and the tours. And, and he earned it, though. You know, he came from nothing. And worked his ass off for years. And he struck a chord, you know. People love Ozzy Osbourne, you know. That's that's one that's probably going to hurt me more than just about anything, you know. And you look at some of these guys and, you know, the Ozzies of the world are getting up there in age, you know. They're not going to be around forever. Yeah, he's lived longer than I expected. Yeah. I, starting in around 2019 was when I was kind of like, well, we're probably going to lose him in the next year. Jeez. And I've been that way every year since. People were, so it's like he outlives everybody. People were thinking that back in 1986. Well, that's true, too. Like, this yeah. guy ain't going to last another year or two. I don't think most people expected him to live past 40. No, not in the lifestyle he lived. I mean, when you think about, like, all the drugs and all the alcohol and all that shit, and then plus all the work he had to do on top of all that. Just crazy. Did you... There was another news story. I didn't put it on the list here, but um, Sharon, I think, had recently said he's planning to do two shows in Birmingham, England. In the oh, next yeah. Year. I did see that. That'd be cool, man. He wants to say goodbye to his hometown fans. But, um, yeah, no, I'm. that would be cool if he could go out on his own terms and do a show or two to, to finish it. But, man, he's just it's amazing he's hung on as long as he has. It really is. God bless Ozzy Osbourne. Great white news, well, ex-great white news, Jack Russell is, quote, probably about three months away from completing his long-awaited autobiography. I gotta imagine that's gonna be a pretty interesting read. I think so. Yeah, he did an interview with Sean of Laughing Monkey Music and uh, said, we're three months away. Uh, it's actually getting real close. It's really, really good. I'm excited about it. 
He's working with a woman named Caitlin Doty, who's a writer, I guess, kind of like having a ghost writer. And uh, the interesting tidbit about her is she is Chip Zanuff's wife. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Chip Zanuff's wife is uh, co-writing Jack Russell's memoir. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I think every other chapter is going to be like, and then we did this tour, and this great band, Enough's Enough, was the opening. <laughs> Especially the bass player. He was amazing. Yeah, he wouldn't be lying. Good old Chip St. Chocolate. Uh-huh. That's wild, man. You always wonder, like, what can they really tell? You know, I remember that story with Geezer Butler's book, and he had all these stories, and then they came back and said, you can't say any of that stuff or you're going to get sued by these people. Well, I'm, I'm wondering how the Rhode Island fire is going to be handled in this, because this is, I mean, that's such a touchy subject, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that were related to the victims that are going to be mad as hell that he's putting a book out yeah. about this. Um, but I don't know. When we talked to him, Jack was one, like one of the first big gets we had when we were still kind of doing interviews regularly. Bes- and Besides Russ Dwarf. Well, yeah, Russ was the first. But Jack was... Jack was very kind, but when it when at the time when we talked to him, the Rhode Island fire, he was not having it. He was yeah. not going to talk about it. Yeah. But he's been more open about it in recent years. Um, but so that's going to be, I'm sure that'll be a huge chapter in the book. Also, though, like the one thing that we stumbled upon when, I think it was during a Beat the Geek thing, was that Jack had been convicted of murder right. back before Great White even got big. Um, and I think he'd served like a year or two, something like, wasn't it? Had something to do with a robbery gone wrong. It was like a housekeeper or something. Yeah, something. He was robbing a place and it went wrong and somebody got shot and ended up dying. It was something yeah, It was so, something like that. So you've got that. Um, great White with all the ups and downs. I mean, there's. Yeah. I think there is a book there. So this is one I would probably end up buying. If he can tell the stories. Well, yeah, that's the thing is like, how honest is he going to be? Because I've heard two different Jack Russells in interviews. You know, sometimes he's very open, and then other times it's like he's re- almost like he's reading from a script. Yeah. So it depends on how open he's willing to be in the book. Chip's enough's wife will bring it out of him, I'm sure. Yeah. She's got the rock and roll experience. She knows how it is. Either way, they'll smoke some great weed while they make it. <laughs> It'll be a whole book of Chip and Jack telling stories, you know. Remember, hey, brother, remember the time we did this? Well, I remember Jack Russell giving us his phone number when we interviewed him. And he's like, give me a call anytime. And I'm thinking, you don't really mean that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to bug you. He <laughs> like, gets done and he blocks us. Yeah. Hey, Jack, it's that guy that interviewed you. Yeah. It's the last person you want to hear from. What a nice guy, though, to act He was a very nice guy. I felt so bad about bringing that up, bringing the fire up, but it was like we were doing the interview. We were so new at it. You know, we didn't, we weren't professional interviewers by no means, and you think. We're still not. You know, right, exactly. That's, I guess that's part of our charm, but, you know, (laughs) you don't. You don't think about stuff like that. You just think, well, you know, you got to kind of ask. And I felt so bad even asking about it because, I mean, you could tell he hurt. He hurt from it, you know. It was nothing he ever expected to happen and surely never meant to have happen. And and he didn't. He just didn't want to talk about it. And I was like, what can you say? You're like, I get it, you know. No problem. Let's talk about something else. But I felt terrible for bringing it up. Yeah. Well, I mean, you still had to go for it, though. I mean, it's it's such a giant part of their history, unfortunately. 
Yeah. I hate that most people think of that when they hear the name Great White. Right. But that's that's kind of their cross to bear. Yeah. Um, Mick Mars uh, says one song that he recorded with John Karabi may eventually see the light of day. Um, he was mm. talking to Chris Aiken, our buddy nice. on Chris Aiken Presents, and uh, was asked about any of the songs he did with Karabi. And he said, there's maybe one song if I redid it. It's called Gimme Blood, which would be perfect for, like, say, wrestling. Hmm. But right now I'm kind of, I'm just going to leave them where they are. And one day if I decide to, like, go, like, let's dig this up and see if we can what we can do with it. But right now I'm on a whole different kind of way of thinking, I guess. Which that way of thinking, in my opinion, is wrong. Um, yeah. I love Paul Taylor's writing. He does a great job writing these songs. I love Brian Gamboa's vocals. I love Jacob Bunton's vocals. But I do not think these songs that he's releasing are what any of us as Mick Mars fans really want. I'll just be honest. No, and I said it from the beginning. Like Mick Mars is one of those guitar players that when he, you know, you go, oh, that's Mick Mars. You know, there's certain guitar players that you hear him play, you know exactly who it is. And Mick Mars has got such a unique tone to everything he's done over the years, and that's why people love him. Like, why do people love me so much? Because my awesome guitar tone. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna change that and make it sound nice and modern. It's gonna sound like everything else that you might hear new from young bands oh, I, I, I hate I can't say it like that because you can't lump them all in together maybe bands you're hearing on the radio but no radio station that's playing bands like I don't know God I don't even know their name Switchfoot and <laughs> Switchfoot. I, I don't know I don't know I'm so ignorant to this stuff you know it's like there's that generic radio sound that a lot of bands strive for nowadays to get songs played on the radio. And that's kind of what I feel when I hear the new Mick Mars songs. I think, man, you know, you think I'm going to love this because it's Mick Mars because he's got that tone, you know, and he's got that power in that guitar, you know, that that's what made Motley Crue so awesome all them years. You know, why would you take your signature thing that everybody loves you for and get rid of it and try to play like something else? This is a pitfall that a lot of these older artists fall into. And I think I almost call it Aerosmith disease because Aerosmith was the one band that could put out new material like in the 90s after grunge had taken over and the radio was like, it's Aerosmith, let's keep playing it. And they would still get airplay and they would do great with it. But Aerosmith is the unicorn of all of those bands. Right, that's true. They're the only band that pulled that off. So Mick Mars... Tesla with the shock album that sounds like Def Leppard. All you guys that do this stuff, the odds are incredibly stacked against you for getting airplay. So just do what your fans want you to do. Right, because when a radio station programmer, even if he hears the song first, he's going to go, yeah, this fits right in with what we got going on. This is pretty good. I like this band. What's it called? Oh, it's the new project from Mick Mars. The guy from Motley Crue? Yeah, McMars. Ah, forget that then. And yes. that's about as far as it's going to get. It would be the same thing with Tesla, you know, some modern rock station. Even if they heard one of those songs and go, oh, this is poppy and catchy, like a Nickelback song. People might like this. Who is it? It's Tesla. That band from the 80s and 90s? They go, yeah. Ah, forget that, you know? So it's the same thing with radio where... 
the older bands, even though they're putting out new music, got no place to get played. You know, so they're not going to play. They're going to play their classic stuff on the classic rock station, but they're not going to play nothing new by them. And the new rock stations aren't going to play nothing by them at all, unless it's some of the classic stuff. And that's it. You know, there's no place for a classic artist to receive radio play nowadays. It's just different. It's not the same anymore. And so what you have to rely on is your public, your people, the people that are already fans of yours. How many of them Motley Crue fans are going to buy the new Mick Mars album? Probably a lot more if John Karabi's on it. Or it has some semblance to what people love you for. And it sounds like Mick Mars. You know, that's what I said. If Mick Mars wants to come out with an album that's even semi-successful, what he really ought to do is get with John Karabi and figure out a way to write part two to Motley Crue 94. Like, what would be the evolutionary step forward? What would they have done if they had complete control over the next album that never actually happened? That, well, you're right. That I would buy on release day. I would pre-order that shit 100%. And I know a lot of Motley Crue fans would too. And then John Karabi's got fans. Where did John Karabi get all his fans? Most of them were introduced to him when he joined Motley Crue. So that's your fan base. A lot of them stuck with you over the years. Mick Mars, why do people love you? Because you were in Motley Crue. So do that. And I think people would be really excited about something like that as opposed to Mick Mars trying to get a radio hit. You know, the more I hear of this stuff, the more it sounds like it just sounds like he's intentionally trying to get a song on the radio. It does not. I do not believe that 70 something year old Mick Mars just in his musical evolution, personally, suddenly sounds like a Three Days Grace song on the radio. Maybe that's what I was thinking of. Something like that, yeah. But it, but it's just like, I, it's just the wrong way of thinking. And it's just like, yes, you got tons of airplay in 86 with Girls, 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 or 87 or whatever. But you are not, you have to, you have to be realistic here. And market to the, to the people that love you already. And do what, because uh, I think if Mick Mars was did an album that was really true to himself, it would sound like an old school Motley Crue album. And like I said, no disrespect to Paul Taylor, and I'm not going to pull the Eddie trunk and say he's a friend of mine, but he's been nice when I've met him in public. Yeah. But because he's a great writer, and I love what right. Paul does. But it's like, and Paul did great with what he did, but it's like that's not what Mick Mars fans want to hear. They want to hear Mick Mars sound like Mick Mars. And like getting a different singer, I think Brian and Jacob both do amazing from what I've heard so far. It's all well done. The songs are not bad songs. They're not performed badly. It's just not what we want. And it's like the ultimate way to stick it to the crew would have been to saddle up with Karabi and do a really kick-ass heavy record. That would get more media attention, too, rather than this ridiculous fleeting attempt at getting a song on the radio. Right, because if this band is trying to get a song on the radio, they need to change the name of the band and not tell anybody Mick Mars is in the band. They'd have a better shot if they did that. And by listening to it, you wouldn't know that anyway, so it shouldn't be that hard to tell anybody, you know, this is just some new band, you know, and they go, oh. Because yeah. if they wrote the greatest modern ra- modern rock radio song of all time, it's still not going to get no airplay because it's Mick Mars. Right. But, and I don't, like, I listen, it's decently done. It's like if it was a new band that wasn't Mick Mars, I'd probably like it. 
but it's not it's just not what to me as an, an old school motley crew fan it's not what i was hoping for right same here and i hate to admit that because i was really excited for this record yeah i mean you'd expect it to be some like heavy bluesy kind of rock thing and it's just yeah. yeah like i said change the name don't call it mick mars don't tell anybody mick mars is in the band you might get some radio airplay if you're not going to do that then just get back together with Karabi and come out with MC-94-2 to the best of your ability. And that's something people get real excited about, I think. Yeah. And um, I'll move this story to the head of the line since we're on the Motley Crue tip. Uh, Motley Crue is celebrating their 43rd anniversary, and they have launched the virtual museum known as the, of course, Cruzium. Wow, I read an article that claimed that this guy named Chris Sinzak predicted that. Did I predict this? (laughs) Wasn't that in that article where they said your name, like you predicted it was going to be a cruiseum? Oh, well, it was my, yeah, it was was just a guess. I didn't know. Um, Because, well, they kind of hyped up. They were doing like a little teaser about this a few months ago. You know, I had signed up for the email and that that was was what triggered my mind was like, oh, they had like an email pre-sign-up thing for the cruiseum. And yeah, I wound up getting a. It was a blabbermouth article over me just making a post, going, "Hey, I think it's this." And I was like, "Why the fuck are you covering that?" But it wound up being the Cruzeum, which is an online museum, and a lot of fans are very underwhelmed by this. And I get it. What is it um, like a slideshow? It's like a collection of photos of really cool stuff. And it was like initially, I was kind of like, "Oh, this is a big nothing." But then the more I look at it, the more I'm kind of like, you know, they're not asking for a dime for this. And it's got some images of cool stuff from their whole history on here. Right on. So it's kind of like they're not asking for a dime for it, and it's celebrating their history. I really can't really bitch about this because at least they're doing something for free. No, that's cool. Yeah, because I was And gonna, you don't have to listen to Vince try to sing. I was going to ask you how much it costs because nowadays I just assume everything like that costs something. But if it's free... And it's a bunch of yeah. cool stuff. That's awesome. Now there's like, um, you know, I'm looking at it now. There's, you know, pictures of them that were taken, um, flyers from like the Starwood. And Is Mick Mars cut out of all the photos? No, there's plenty of Mick Mars on here, so they're at least respecting him in that way. Yeah. Well. Um, but no, there's it's it's cool to look at. It's not They're not asking for money for it. There is a shop section where you can buy some things, um, but nothing really... It's more just generic stuff like you would see on Kiss Online. Yeah. Um, Like commemorative album plaques, but, you know, you can put your name on an album, which I don't get that. It's like I wouldn't want a gold record unless I was actually involved with the record. Right. Um, ACDC News, it it seemed pretty likely that ACDC is going to at least do a tour this year in 2024. And rock and roll comedian Dean Del Rey has uh, kind of hinted around that Cliff Williams will not be the bass player on the tour coming up. Hmm. These guys are getting old. Well, he he appeared on Dean's show uh, a couple years ago and, and had made it clear at the time that he was pretty much done. He finished out the tour that they did with Axel filling in and was appreciative of that, but had known by that point that he was kind of over doing the whole two-year tour thing. Which I don't, I don't blame him. No, he's made his money. He's living comfortably. I mean, at that age, you don't have to. So, I mean, it's not like it's Angus. Like, Angus has to. 
Like you can replace everybody else, but Angus has to go. So it's his call to do the tour. Everybody else, are you in? No? Okay, that's fine too. Well, and I think the next tour is going to be the last one. I think this is the last one for Angus. It's so got to be. If it comes anywhere near Nashville, I'll, e- I'll even travel for this. I'd like to see them one last time. Yeah, for sure. I haven't seen them since 95 Ball Breaker Tour when they played MTSU and I helped work the show. And I was four feet away from Angus. That was wild. Yeah, they're truly a one-of-a-kind band, man. You'll never have another ACDC. A lot of imitations, but never a duplication of that band. Yeah, but no, I'm glad they're finally going to get out and hit the road because, man, power up. I was listening to it again today. Man, what a great record. It is like good. A, and really, and late, so late in their career, but uh, really, really solid album by them. Yeah, I agree with that. Who do you think is going to be the bass player? Uh, well, yeah, Dean mentioned on the podcast that he was like, I know who it is, but I'm not going to reveal it. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure who would end up doing filling in that slot. It'll probably not be anybody well-known, but maybe, I don't know, who do you think? Duff McKagan. Oh, that would be cool. That's my that's my guess. That's actually a good guess. I wouldn't, mind, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Because, I mean, they already got the, the connection with Axel. That's what I'm thinking. Now it's Duff's turn. And Duff's a big fan of... ACDC oh, yeah. and the old school stuff. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that guy. Yeah, I'd like to see him one more time. If you've never seen ACDC and you get the chance, go see him. You've seen him live, haven't you? No. Oh, you never have? Never have. I figured you would have seen them up in Milwaukee or something. Like I said, I grew up in that small town in the middle of the state. It was it was a feat to go to any shows unless something came to you, which Well, I guess which when I saw rare. them, they were kind of on a... A, a low point of their career because ball breaker was not a hit and, yeah. and, and, and Murphy center was not even the biggest place in town to see the show. No, far like from you, it. So yeah, that is kind of, and that it was 95 or 96. Maybe, I think maybe it was early 96, I think, but they were, but it was packed. I mean, there was, there wasn't an empty seat in that whole place. This is the loudest show I've ever been to. I could not hear worth a fuck for like four days after that concert. Nice. I don't know. You want to do the Camaro segment before we jump into the rest? Yep. I took the notes. We might as well do the work and put the word out. All right. So here's how we do it. It's the Camaro segment. I've got Rockstar Death Days. Those are folks we want to remember that passed away. The anniversary falling right in this time period of where we're speaking now. Also got some album anniversaries. Same idea. We're going to talk about some albums that came out at this timeline of we're talking right now. And then we're going to wrap it up with your report of new worthy albums coming your way. We're off to kind of a slow start so far in 2024. That's going to ramp up. I already see it. Announcements coming all the time. New stuff coming out. And so we got some ones to look forward to this time around. So let's start out with some album anniversaries. So for this... We're going to jump back 20 years to 2004. And we're looking at the 20-year anniversary of the Probot album. And Probot was a project by Dave Grohl where he wrote all these heavy metal songs and then thought, let me go get some of the singers of my favorite bands to come sing on this. So he got the singer from Trouble, the singer from Venom, the singer from Cathedral, COC, even got King Diamond and Lemmy to appear on this album and this is a damn good one i like this one a lot i got it when it was new because i was i was intrigued by it like 
Dave Grohl, like at that time you think Foo Fighters, Nirvana, this guy ain't heavy metal. But then that's when I realized and kind of got a little more respect for the guy and go, you know what? This guy is a metalhead. The Lemmy song on there is killer. Yeah, I like this one. And uh, this one has a personal memory for me because my best friend Wes, who was he was my best friend growing up, also was the drummer in my band. This He was the owner of the CD. This was the last time that I can remember a dispute over borrowing a CD from a friend. Wow. In my life. Um, he loaned this CD to me and I gave it back to him like two years later. And like he, then he misplaced it. And then to this day, he still claims that I have this CD of his. Oh, but shit. I <laughs> but it's the last, like, remember that was a part of your childhood. It was right. like, hey, I loaned you that, you know, Megadeth CD. And where, you know, I need to get it back. Right. It was the last dispute over a CD I've had with a friend. And it, it was that album. You hear that, Wes? Chris ain't got your ProBot CD. I don't have it. I gave it back to him. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I know. I've had those issues in my life, too. Uh, In 2004, Probot goes to number 68 in the U.S. Not bad. Another one 20 years ago, you want to remember? The one and only album by Damage Plan, New Found Power. It's after Pantera breaks up. You got Dimebag Daryl. You got Vinnie Paul. They got this new band they're putting together. Only one album comes out because, of course, in the process of touring on it, Dimebag Daryl's Murder. What did you think of that when it came out? Were you a fan of Damage Plan? It didn't really click with me. I I, I was wanting to hear another album from them because it just... It had pieces of riffs that were good, but it just didn't really click like Pantera did for me personally. Yeah, same here. I wanted to like it so much, but... Yeah, there's something about... I don't know if it was the singer didn't fit or whatever it was. Yeah, that was another one too. I think one more album would have really been something special out of them. Yeah. And I bought it right after it got released. Yeah, me too. Because I was really excited for it. Yeah, me too, because it was the closest thing to Pantera you were going to get. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, there's rumors out there that some stuff got recorded for a follow-up for that, and that Vinnie Paul at one point had kind of hinted that one day it might come out. But then, of hmm. course, now Vinnie Paul's gone too, and I haven't never heard nothing more about it, so... There's something hidden in some vault somewhere. Love to see that. Damage Plan in 2004. That album goes to number 38 in the U.S. So a lot of people are excited for it. You know, a lot of Pantera fans that really missed Diamond Vinny and were excited to get something new. All right. So from there, we can jump back 30 years to 1994. You remember 1994, don't you? Of course. So let's talk about albums. These bands, right, they're, they all belong together. You know, it's 1994, so you got to talk about Cake. you got to co- talk about Sublime. you got to talk about Green Day. And you got to talk about Black Sabbath. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so in 1994, Black Sabbath is back with their 17th full-length studio album, Cross Purposes. This marks the return of Tony Martin on lead vocals. It's a damn good album. It's really good. It's very underrated. You know, out of all the albums we talk about today, you would think would be ranked higher. Man, this one only goes to 122 in the U.S. I think most people didn't even know it was out. No, I never knew this until years later when I'm doing the Decibel Geek podcast with my friend Chris, and we're talking about the other side of Sabbath. Still, to me, that's one episode that always stands out. 
because it was the first time that I realized by doing this show, it's like, I'm learning stuff by doing this. Like, my horizons are going to be so broadened because of doing this show. And that episode was the first one because, I mean, I never listen to any Sabbath outside of, you know, Ozzy and Dio. And, I mean, I had Born Again, so I listened to that. But then after that, you know, I really didn't listen to No Sabbath and didn't keep up with it. And in 1994, I had no idea Black Sabbath was still coming out with albums. So to get schooled on that and then to go back and listen to it and go, 1994 Black Sabbath, I mean, how good can this really be? But it's a damn good album. There's a tune on there called Evil Eye that's co-written by Eddie Van Halen. Black Sabbath cross-purposes, like I said, only 122 in the U.S. Tough times for Sabbath in 94. But you know who's having a real good time in 94? The band Green Day. Man, Green Day keeps coming up on the Decibel Geek podcast. What the hell's going on? (laughs) They're back with their third album. This is their big breakthrough in the U.S. and pretty much everywhere else. The album's called Dookie. They pretty much everybody had it back then. I mean, every party I go to seemed to be playing this album. I was kind of resistant to it at the time because, I don't know, Green Day wasn't really my thing, but... When you look at how popular it was, you think about songs like Longview, Basket Case, Welcome to Paradise, and When I Come Around. That shit was everywhere. Uh, U.S. number two album for Green Day. It set them off on a huge career after that. I was a big fan of that record. My brother, my younger brother, listened to the shit out of that, and it would drive me nuts. You know, I'm trying to listen to Great White and Warrant, and I'm listening to... Ultraphobic by Warrant and stuff like that. <laughs> well, see, I'm, I'm the weirdo that was listening to Ultraphobic and then I'd put Dookie on. Yeah. <laughs> I was weird. I'm listening to Menace to Sobriety by Ugly Kid Joe. I ain't got time for Green Day. You know, I'm still trying to keep up on my stuff, what's slowly dwindling away. But I think all these years later, to put it in, you can say, yeah, there's, there's some damn good songs on here. Super catchy stuff. If I'm going to listen to Green Day, I want to listen to the the early stuff, the first three albums, and sure. some of that stuff. Not so much anymore. Well, they had there's a song on there called "She," and I remember getting the record. I'm like, oh my god, is it a Kiss cover? <laughs> no, <it's not. laughs> Although the song, their version of the song "She" is pretty good too. Though. Yeah, that is a pretty good one. I remember that too. Yeah, I see a lot of them songs really stick with you because they're so so catchy. Well, they're just they're. Quick three chord rock. I mean, the, the, similar to the Ramones, very catchy, melodic. But uh, no, I mean, I give. And uh, yes, I we heard you guys loud and clear. The, those the few of you responded over to the last episode saying no, no heavier side of Green Day, please. I saw. So I, we won't do that. I saw a couple people that wanted us to do it. Did you? I don't remember seeing yeah. that. It seemed like everybody was against it. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. I would gladly do it, but I don't think most people want to hear it. You might learn something. That's how I learned about Black Sabbath in 1994 is making myself do it, putting myself through it, you know, and trying to figure it out. Maybe there is some good stuff. Who knows? Another one in 1994 celebrating a 30-year anniversary, the second album from reggae rock band Sublime. I know this is way outside my wheelhouse, but I love Sublime. I thought it was so cool and different, and dude's guitar tone and then trying to match that up with like reggae music. It's like gangster rock reggae. Robin the Hood came out in 94. It's got songs on it like Boss DJ and Pool Shark. And you think about 1994. And I found this was a pretty interesting fact. Because Sublime, being what they are, they're more rock than they are pretty much anything else. 
but in 1994, they were the number one Canadian rap album. Really? With Robin the Hood. So in 1994, that's what Canadians thought rap was. Sublime. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And here's another band that's way outside the box. I don't know. There's something about them that makes me like them. There's way too much trumpet and shit in it. But otherwise, the guitars and the hooks and the songs, a lot of it's really good. Talk about the band Cake and their very first album, Motorcade of Generosity, came out in 1994. Wasn't a big hit for them yet. They're going to get some notoriety a little bit later on, but I don't know. There's something about the guitars in Cake that I like. Like I said, way too many trumpets and shit. But they, <laughs> but they write some good songs. They're goofy, but they're fun. Yeah. I've always, I've always enjoyed them. Yeah, they're like, and they're you, you don't listen to them to headbang, but no. they're they're fun to listen to. But they got some good groovy, hooky yeah. guitar stuff too that I like. Uh, there's some good stuff there. Just you know, don't sleep on it. Yeah. So there you go. 1994, 30 years ago, Green Day, Sublime, Cake, and Sabbath. All right. So let's jump back 35 years. To 1989, here's some more albums you want to be thinking about this time of year because it is their anniversaries. Tesla, their second album, The Great Radio Controversy. Great one. Got songs on it like Hang Tough, The Way It Is, Heaven's Trail. Mm, That's one of my all-time favorites. and Probably one of their most popular songs ever, Love Song. Uh, Great Radio Controversy, man, it's 1989. Tesla's doing pretty good for themselves. That one goes to 18. That's the highest charting album we've mentioned so far today. Oh, except for Green Day. <laughs> Green Day in 94, hard to beat that. Another one celebrating a 35-year anniversary, the very first solo album outside the band Warlock for Doro, as she comes out with her debut solo album, Force Majeure, I think. That's a good one. Yeah, it's got Bobby Roninelli on drums and John Levin on guitar. It's it's a good one, but again, we're talking, you know, Doro, not real big in the United States. This one goes to 154. And then one more for a 35-year anniversary. It is 1989, and we're getting the album Blessing in Disguise by Metal Church. It's their third album, but it's their last album signed by Elektra. So they... They were one of them bands that around that time, you know, when everybody's looking for the next hard rock, heavy metal band to sign, Metal Church is one of them. But by that third album, they lost their lead singer. Metal Church didn't take off like they hoped it would. And so they're getting dropped already from Elektra. It's the debut of lead vocalist Mike Howe. And once they release this album, they end up going on tour, opening up the Headless Children tour for Wasp. So then from there, we jump back 40 years to 1984. I got one that we're going to be celebrating the anniversary of. It's the eighth studio album from the Motor City Madman Ted Nugent with his epic album, Penetrator. Such a great name. (laughs) You probably remember this one because it's got the classic. I mean, we were talking like awesome art in 1984. You got to think of Boris Vallejo. That guy made so many awesome paintings for some of the most kick-ass rock albums. And that's the one that's got the dragon tattoo that's coming to life and biting the arm artwork on the cover of it. I don't know if I own Penetrator. Yeah, the artwork on the album, 
probably the best thing about that album. <laughs> I'd say it's a safe bet. Yeah, it's not a great one. I don't know what the hell was going on with Ted Nugent for a while there. He just didn't know who he was or wow. where he fit in. He was in that uh, wilderness that a lot of the 70s artists were in. Yeah, but he was still trying. Nonetheless, Ted Nugent's still pretty popular. That album goes to 56, but I bet you he probably lost quite a few fans over that one. I was digging out uh, my Little Miss Dangerous vinyl the other day. Oh, yeah? Yeah. No songs about barbecues on that one, huh? Unfortunately, no. No? Okay. (laughs) An album's not complete without a song about barbecue. That's right. Speaking of that, pretty soon we're going to be getting together with our friends over at Cobras and Fire because they're talking about doing another edition of March Badness where we're going to be picking out some of the worst albums. Maybe we should make a post on our Facebook page to give somebody give us some ideas of some bad, bad albums that you'd like to hear us nominate so we can maybe yeah. hear Loose Cannon and Baco have to talk about. It's a good idea, and I think... The plan is to do it live. I could be wrong, oh, yeah. um, but I believe that's part of the plan. So it could be an interactive experience getting to see March Badness this time. Oh, that's I'm, cool. I'm stoked for it. Heck yeah, man. That's always a fun time to do that. And then to see where it ends up, because then from us making our nominations, then it's up to the people to choose the album. So then it's fun to keep up and see whose album is actually going to make it to number one. Who won? You won last time, didn't you? I don't know if it was last time, but one of the last ones we did, I had those guys ended up having to review Peter Chris's One for All. Oh, yeah. I don't think they've forgiven me for it still. I can't blame them for that. That's awful. I wouldn't do that to anybody. (laughs) That was pretty cruel, wasn't it? You killed my father, and now his revenge. I've got you chained to this chair with this speaker and a CD on repeat of Peter Chris All for One. All right, so that's Ted Nugent 40 years ago. Jump back 45 years ago to 1979, and Nazareth is back with an album called No Mean City. This one is still, you know, Nazareth kind of hits their peak in 75, but by 79, they're still doing pretty good for themselves. Uh, This one makes it to 88 on the U.S. charts, and it's a damn good album. So if you know the Nazareth, you know the album cover for that one's got a kind of a Dungeons Dragons looking guy on it. Pretty cool. Nazareth always has cool album covers. I always like Nazareth. Yeah, so that's 45 years ago for them. Now we jump way, way back. 50-year anniversary. That takes us back to 1974. I got two of them. One is a band called T-Rex. I know, Chris, you're familiar with T-Rex. They've had some good stuff, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the early stuff is pretty folky, but once they start doing the electric stuff, and then you get... Bang a gong, Jeepster, all that stuff. Right, yeah, I think this is one of those. This one's called Zinc Alloy and the Hidden Riders of Tomorrow. That's a good record. Totally T-Rex titled album. (laughs) (laughs) It's their ninth full-length studio album. It's kind of a trip. It's like psychedelic soul music with guitars. And David Bowie becomes a huge fan of this album, and they say he listened to it constantly and then went into the studio to record his Young Americans album. So David Bowie, especially that album, highly influenced by T-Rex. Yeah, Mark Bolin was an influence on Bowie, and then they became good friends. And I think Bowie might have been one of the last people to see him alive. Yeah. I think they were doing like a TV taping the day that he died in the car accident. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, that guy always dreaded that he'd die in a car accident. And what do you know? That's exactly what happened. 
Same thing with Richie Valens. Always thought he was going to die in a plane crash. That's weird. Sometimes you can think that shit into reality. All right, so here's a guy we've probably never talked about on the Decibel Geek podcast before, but I think it's worth a mention because of what album it is. This is the most popular album of the whole list. This is the only one that we'll talk about today in album anniversaries that actually made it to number one in the U.S. You ever heard me mention Gordon Lightfoot before? No, but I'm more than familiar with who he is. Well, in 1974, 50 years ago, he came out with the album Sundown. And if that ain't one of the greatest rock songs ever written, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Yeah, he's a legend. I love that song so much. It's just, it's got such a good vibe to it. It's like, you could, it's one of those songs that you can almost feel it. You can almost close your eyes and picture a story, a movie in your head while you're listening to it because the lyrics are so descriptive and the music's so gripping. It's It kind of takes you over a little bit. So put on some Gordon Lightfoot, some of that old stuff from 50 years ago. Put that on your headphones and give that a listen one time. Let it take you away to a magical time in 1974. So going forward, Aaron's faves, Ugly Kid Joe, mm-hmm. Tough, yeah. Enough's Enough, and Gordon Lightfoot. Gordon Lightfoot. Wow. Yeah. And Duran Duran. And Duran Duran. <laughs> That's right. Tale of the Edmund Fitzgerald forever. Aaron's a very complex person. I am. When my son got a guitar, he said, well, what song should I learn? And that's why I told him to learn the uh, the tale of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Wreck of the Edmund or, Fitzgerald. Yeah, that's right, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And that's the first song my son learned how to play on guitar. Oh, that's cool. And now he can actually play and sing it at the same time. It's pretty cool. I like that song. Yeah, me too. Based on a true story. All right, and then we got two more, and for that, We've got to go back 55 years to 1969. And in that year, you're going to get the fourth and final album by supergroup Cream, aptly titled Goodbye. The disbandment of this band was announced before the previous studio album. So they say, hey, we got a new album coming out. We're going on this big old farewell tour, and then we're going away. We're breaking up. So everybody had plenty of heads up about this. So then their plan was to come out with another full-length studio album, but they just didn't have the songs. You know, they were so busy touring, and they just come out with that other album. So what you get is three studio albums, brand new, and three live albums on this one. And it goes to number two in the United States back in 1969, produced by Felix Popolardi of Mountain. Nice. Yeah, I love Cream, man. That's some... Good stuff. That's one of those bands that, you know, Eric Clapton's Eric Clapton. He's known for what he's known for. But, man, Cream is something else. That shit's heavy. Yeah, my father was a very big fan of that band. So he got me into them when I was first learning guitar. So, yeah, the Sunshine of Your Love and White Room and stuff like that was very influential on me when I was first learning how to play guitar. Yeah, my dad loved Cream also. Good stuff. And then one more for album anniversaries 55 years ago. The Bob Seger System comes out with the album Ramblin' Gamblin' Man. I thought of that because of the awesome cover that the Rock City Machine Company released on their album in 2023. That one's from all the way back in 1969. Sometimes it's hard to remember that Bob Seger's been around for that long. 
And uh, on backing vocals is a then-unknown Glenn Fry. Oh, wow. I think you think about that. Like, Bob Seger's been around since 69, but then in, like, the 70s, he's opening for Kiss. This one goes to number 62 in the United States, and it's kind of a trip because if you look at the album cover, it's this artwork of this woman, beautiful woman, wearing, like, this long blue dress, and she's standing, like, on a jagged edge, and it's all it's pretty trippy-looking and everything. But the album's called Ramblin' Gamblin' Man, and it doesn't really fit. So I was like, "Well, that why is that? That's such a weird thing. So it turns out there's a song on the album called Tales of Lucy Blue, and that was originally going to be the album cover so much that they actually had the artwork picked out for it already, and then at the last minute, for whatever reason, it ended up getting changed to Ramblin' Gamblin' Man, but I guess it was too late, so they still had the Tales of Lucy Blue artwork already in place but then the album title gets changed and so then it doesn't make any sense wow i didn't know that yeah i didn't know that either the things you learn so there you have it those are your album anniversaries bust out some of that old cream and bob seeger if you want to feel cool listen to some gordon lightfoot the old nazareth i wouldn't recommend the ted the ted nugent so much (laughs) But I definitely would recommend Metal Church, Tesla, and Black Sabbath, no doubt about it, and that ProBot album. So those are your album anniversaries this time around. And so let's look at the people we need to remember. And so these are all rock star death days, people you want to be thinking about this time of year. We're going to go back a couple of days. We're going to go forward a few days to get us through to the next GeekWire. So let's start right here. Lost him in 2017 on the 28th of January. Longtime Black Sabbath member Jeff Nichols. I mean, maybe not technically a member, but I mean, he sure was treated like one. He was actually brought into Sabbath originally to be a second guitar player. Who would have ever thought hmm. that? Sabbath with two guitar players. But that's the way it was. But then Geezer Butler left the band. So Jeff, being the multi-instrumentalist, multi-talented guy that he is, Jumps on bass. Well, then Geezer decides he's going to come back, and they go, well, what else can you do? And Jeff Nichols says, I can do anything. And they say, well, we're rolling into the 80s. Can you play keyboards? And Jeff Nichols is like, hell yeah, I can play keyboards. (laughs) So then they loved the guy so much that throughout all the years, Jeff Nichols was a part of Black Sabbath. In 2017, at the age of 72, we lose this awesome dude to lung cancer. But it's pretty cool a couple years later when his, I believe it was his son, released the unreleased Black Sabbath song from the Dio era, a tune called Slapback. And it was a demo of a song that had never been heard before then. And it was all thanks to Jeff Nichols having the foresight to hang on to those tapes with that song on it that his son was able to release it in tribute to his dad. Yeah, I thought that was cool when I got to hear that. Oh, super cool, man. I was so excited about that. So awesome. All right, here's somebody else we want to remember. Passed away the anniversary back on the 1st of February. Lost him in 2022 at the age of 69. Entrepreneur and guy that really set the trends. You know, really saw the power of hard rock and metal music and said, you know what, there's something here. You know, people love this stuff. We got to get it out to the masses. I'm talking about John Zazula. Yeah, Johnny Z from Megaforce Records. 
Yeah, I wish we could have interviewed him before he was gone. Yeah, we talked about it at one time, but, I mean, it was probably a little too late by then already. I mean, Johnny Z, 69 years old, he's got a lot of health issues, but a lot of people would say he probably died of a broken heart because his wife of many, many years passed away just a couple of weeks ago on January 10th before he passes away. So, you know, back-to-back losses right there of a couple of people that had a huge hand in the advancement of heavy metal music and getting it out to people where, you know, you didn't have to be living in Los Angeles or New York City to learn about bands like Anthrax. And, hell, Johnny Z gave Ace Frehley a chance when a lot of other people probably wouldn't have. So a lot of love and respect for that guy, and he's definitely missed, but certainly well-revered in the world of hard rock and heavy metal. So then one day before that, but many years earlier, back in 1979, man, it's a heroin overdose. Right after being released from Rikers Prison for a rehab session that he was in there for because this guy was in bad shape. At the age of 21, bass player, you can't see it, but I'm using parentheses fingers, bass player, Sid Vicious from the Sex Pistols, Right after being released from prison, mandatory rehab, he goes right out and overdoses. It's weird you bring him up because I was just watching a documentary about Sid and Nancy last night before I went to sleep. Yeah? Yeah. I didn't know the anniversary was coming up. And then I just saw the Hotel Chelsea when I was in New York a few months ago. It was pretty wild to see that in person. Is that where it happened at? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And the the front entrance and the lobby and everything looks the same. Wow. You know, yeah, it's, it's a quite a piece of history, and it's literally only like a, two blocks away from um, the Dress to Kill corner. Yeah, wow, that's a yep. trip. That stuff's so close together. It is. One thing I didn't know from the New York Dolls, Jerry Nolan, the drummer, Peter Chris's old buddy, he was there. What, when uh, Sid and Nancy, when Nancy died? No, when Sid Vicious overdosed. Oh, when he overdosed. Yeah, I wouldn't, yeah I'm not surprised. Yeah, they were all in there doing that shit together. Yeah, Jerry, Jerry was a mess on heroin. Yeah, Jerry only from the Misfits was there too, and he cooked them all food, and then when they started busting out the heart, the death drugs, he was like, I'm out of here. So, Sid Vicious, I mean, great musician? No, you know? No. Somehow... He, he completely got exploited. Yeah, somehow still a cultural icon. Yeah, but I mean, it, I, I feel like that guy was just caught up in a tornado of fame. You know, yeah. he just... He got brought into the band because he had the right look. No one gave a fuck if he could play or not. Right, yeah. So it's like they just made a spectacle out of him and then threw him up on stage. So I do kind of feel bad for the guy. Right, yeah. He just wanted to rock. All right, so then back to 1982. At the age of 47, the sensational one, Alex Harvey. The sensational Alex Harvey band, very influential on bands like Kiss and bands from that era. I never really knew nothing about them. I picked up a couple of their CDs I found one time and listened to it and found there was some really good stuff on there. This Scottish guy died of a heart attack on his 47th birthday. Wow. But I'm telling you, if you don't know the song Midnight Moses, you've probably heard other bands cover it, I'm sure. But if not, you got to check that song out because it is awesome. And Alex Harvey band actually had some other really good songs too so i was surprised when i got them cds because i only knew the one song and i thought if that song's so good there's got to be other good stuff 
and there definitely was. I'd like to be a forest ranger. <laughs> <laughs> but the cadence and the delivery of that song is so awesome, man. Yeah, that's great. All right, so then back to our era a little bit more. Back in 1998, at the young, young age of 35, Slaughter guitarist Tim Kelly dead in a car accident involving a tractor trailer. I remember that being a big story on uh, Metal Edge and Hit Parader and, and even MTV reporting yep. a lot on it at the time. Yeah. I got to meet Tim Kelly one time years and years ago. We were in Appleton, Wisconsin at some kind of rock on for something, you know. It was just this group of bands. I think Vince Neil was there. I don't remember who else. Great White had to be there. They were at all of those. But Slaughter was on that show. And I remember hanging out. And I don't remember, like, where we were hanging out. But there was, like, by it was by a fence. And it was me and my friend Jason. And all of a sudden, it's like, there's Tim Kelly. And he's just like, what's up, dudes? And we're like, holy shit. You know, it's Tim Kelly. And he was a nice guy. He was super nice to us. And was just bullshitting with us. Gave us pics. And, you know, we were just blown away. Like, you turn around, and there's Tim Kelly. Like, that might have been the first rock star I ever met. And he was super cool. So I always got good memories of him. Yeah, I've always heard he was a great guy. I never got to meet him. He was playing with Slaughter when I saw my first show, which was Kiss, Slaughter, and Danger, Danger. So I saw him live, but never got to meet him. But I heard nothing but good things about him. Yeah, take him way too soon. 35? That sucks. That guy would probably still be doing some really cool stuff, you know. There ain't no telling who Frontiers Records would have been teaming Tim Kelly up with. Right. All right, so then on the 7th, you want to remember back in 2018 at the age of 64, this guy did a lot of different stuff, but he's probably best known as the drummer in Mr. Big. Sad story on this one, man. Pat Pat Torpe passed away. Is it Torpe or Torpe? I think it's Torpe. Torpe, Pat Torpe. Hell of a drummer, man, but he got Parkinson's disease. But give him credit, man. He fought through it hard. You know, he decided that he was going to keep playing drums until he couldn't play drums anymore, and he did. But eventually, with something like that, you know, it gets you, and it got him in 2018. That's a bummer. I will say the remaining members of Mr. Big have handled that very well with a lot of class. Yeah. Like they They've always given credit to Pat yep. and kind of kept him at the forefront of everything. And they're on their last tour now, and I understand they're being really respectful as far as honoring his memory. So I'm good on them for that. Yeah, and you can tell that those guys loved him, you know. Yeah. And if he were alive, he would be a part of this final tour, no doubt about it. Yeah, I feel bad for them and, of course, his family. But, man, you feel terrible for that band because, you know, like you said, you know, they're they're paying him a lot of respect, and it's easy to see that they loved him a lot. This one is pretty tragic. I think you might even know a little more about this than I do. A drummer named Tony Destra, back in 1987 mm. at the age of 32, he was from New Jersey, and he, well, he, I don't know if he was from there, but he lived there. He drummed for both Cinderella and for Britney Fox. Was it like a bad car accident? Yeah, it was like a car that exploded that he was in. It was and it was after a show. I don't I can't recall the real details of it, but it was like a a car literally 
exploded, burst into flames, and it killed him. And it happened, I think, right in front of a bunch of people, like out yes. on the street where people like seen it happening. Yeah, he played on the EP, I guess. Yeah, the EP for Britney Fox, the first thing that came out with yeah. called In America. He was a good drummer. All right, so you got Tony Destra. Here's one that's a little outside the box, but this one means a lot to me because I like that funky rock from the 70s. And, man, if you want to listen to music that'll get you excited down in your underpants, this is something right here. Singer named Betty Davis, back in 2022 at the ripe old age of 77, passed away. And she has got one of the sexiest voices I've ever heard in my life. And the music is good, too. So it's funky rock, but it's got some really good guitar playing in it. And, man, her vocals and her delivery are something that will give you feelings deep, deep down inside. You don't believe me? Go check out some of that Betty Davis. telling my wife i saw a picture of her at a record show we were at not too long ago and i said look she's like a black ace fraley because she dressed all funky like that like she was from outer space her and ace fraley would have made a hell of a couple <laughs> i never heard of that i've heard of betty davis the actress no not the actress this is a singer you trust me trust me have some tissues nearby when you listen to it though because I'm going to be crying or because I'm going to be jerking off? You're going to be jerking off. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> what are you listening to in here? Nothing. Give me my privacy. Damn. Check this out when we're done. I love it. I love it. Yeah, your wife's out of town. You might need to listen That's to somebody. Right. Davis. I got free time. I just got everybody in trouble with their wives. Now all the dudes that listen to Decibel Gig are going to be going and shit. listening to some Betty Davis from the 70s. Like our, like our wives listen to this shit. Right. No, they're going to wonder, who who's teaching you this stuff? Ew, I learned it by listening to Decibel Geek. <laughs> it's you, okay, Aaron? I learned it from watching you. Uh, that's right. <laughs> and so then we got one more. One very important person we got to remember. This was somebody we both got to meet. Was a super cool guy. We had him on the show. He was awesome. Everything about him for a long, long time. Back in 2022, at the age of 70, the protector of Kiss, Big John Hart. He was such a great guy. So awesome, man. I got a picture of him. It it just stays on my on my main screen on my laptop. 
Like I came across it a while back and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to put this here and just keep it here. So every time I open my laptop, I can look at the picture of myself, Big John Hart, man. What an awesome, awesome dude. Yeah, it was it was great to interview him and also great to meet him in Atlanta that weekend. Yeah, and get to even hang out with him for a little bit. Like yeah. Vinny Vincent was up on stage doing his thing and Big John Hart's telling me stories about Vinny Vincent. I'm just standing next to him going, this can't be real. This can't be real. This this is actually happening to me. I'm standing here with Big John Hart talking about Kiss, drinking a beer. Unbelievable. That was a fun weekend. And he was so much, you know, so uh, almost as present as the band members in so many photos. Yeah. You know, he just so he was just everywhere. Yeah. And so I was like, and that was I remember he was kind of blown away by that when we interviewed him. He was like, "Really, you got? Why does anybody care about me?" And we're like, "You were the guy guarding him, and you're in so many of those photos and videos, right?" You know, it was just he was just as much a part of the band as anybody. Sure, yeah, he was iconic because like the classic photos of the guys with their him putting his hand over the face and grabbing for the camera. Super awesome guy. If you're a Kiss fan and you missed that conversation we had with Big John Hart, you got to go back and listen to it. I'm sure it was a Kissmas in July from years back, but yeah, sad, sad day in 2022 when he passed away. Did his book ever come out? That was a casualty of the Pledge Music drama. Uh, um, Pledge Music wound up stealing a lot of money from creators. Yeah. And went radio silent on people, and then people couldn't fund the projects like they had planned, and stuff fell apart, and that was one of them. Damn. That sucks, yeah, because yeah, it was scheduled that it was supposed to be coming out in 2023, but I didn't think it ever did. No, it never came out in so if you have if you want to hear J- Big John Hart stories, go back in the archives and listen to it because we we got a lot out of him. Yeah, or if you got a shit ton of cash and you want something cool to invest in, I'd reach out to his family and see if you can help them get that book out. Apparently, it's already written. It just needs to have the backing to be released. Oh, I'd love to read it. I would too. I mean, I'm sure any interview he did, you know, he's got to be having it in the back of his mind that he's writing a book. Got to hold some of that stuff back. So there you have it. Those are the people you want to remember, the rock star death days. Man, go back and bust out some of that old slaughter and listen to some of them Tim Kelly licks. Pat Torpe, busting out the drums for Mr. Big. That's a hell of a band to have to play drums for, but that guy did it. Explicit warning on the Betty Davis. I'm telling you right now. You might want to listen to that when you're all alone. (laughs) Get the Jorgens ready. It's good alone time music. All right, so with all our looks to the past, now we got to take a look to the future. Not a whole lot. Like I said, the year's off to kind of a slow start. We got some cool stuff. Kind of missed this last time, but then I got my copy of it. It was like, oh, yeah. On the 17th, Dawn of the Rising released their new album, Win, Lose, or Draw. And I know you got your copy, too. And I've been listening to the hell out of mine. There's one song in particular on here that freaking blows me away that I listen to over and over and over again. And that's track number two called One Step. It's a brand new song. It is so good. Can we play that on the way out on this episode? Why not? It's our show. Oh, man. it's I'm telling you guys. You know, we became good friends with Dawn of the Rising because we appreciate each other. Those guys appreciated what we were doing here on the Decibel Geek podcast, and we appreciated them that they were a band writing and performing awesome hard rock music. 
And so it was a beautiful friendship that was forged out of rock and roll. And so from there, it's like, I can't believe that through the circumstance of all of this, I'm friends with one of my favorite bands. Like Dawn of the Rising has become one of my favorite, favorite bands. And they're such good dudes. Last year, of course, they came on. I went out and talked to them while they were in town for their awards show. And we did the Beat the Geek and had a good time with that. And have had those guys on for Friday night live streams. Uh, the worst one ever, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> no fault to them, all except for their technology, maybe. And uh, still managed to have a good time with that. I'm very proud of them for this album. It is freaking awesome. So it's out there. Look up Dawn of the Rising. If you're doing the Spotify or whatever, if you're downloading your music, you can get it there. Otherwise, there's a way to get the CD. And you know me, I like the physical product. So I was really excited when this showed up in my mailbox. So once again, got to give it up to Dawn of the Rising. Thank you, dudes, for continuing to prove that rock and metal isn't just about the legends. Those guys are important. But Dawn of the Rising is out there. They're doing it right now. They're keeping rock and metal music alive by contributing by being a band that writes and performs amazing rock music. And if you're looking for something new, some kind of new band, something that you haven't heard a million times, you can't go wrong with Dawn of the Rising. I highly recommend you pick up their new album. Yeah, it's great stuff. I've enjoyed I've only got to spend it a couple times, but I've liked what I've heard so far. Yeah, I had it in the car with me pretty much all week. From the day I got it, I put it in the car, I brought it with me. I've listened to the whole thing a bunch of times. But man, I keep going back to that song One Step. It is something special. Yeah, I do like that one a lot. So we'll play it on the way out. So then on the 29th of January, this one kind of caught me by surprise. Robbie Krieger, the old guitar player for The Doors, came out with a new album. Robbie Krieger and the Soul Savages, it's called. I haven't had a chance to check any of it out. But I'm intrigued. You know, Robbie Krieger was a hell of a guitar player. You know, he was part of what made the Doors music really cool. And so they didn't have the bass player. They had the the crazy keyboards. So Robbie Krieger really kept the Doors rock. Because without him, I don't know if that would be even considered rock music. It'd just be weird keyboard music. So you old fan of the Doors, got a lot of respect for Robbie Krieger. Might want to check out that new album. So then... We'll go up to, yeah, let's go up to the 16th, I guess. So on the 14th, you got a new album by the band Blackberry Smoke, an album called Be Right Here. It's coming out on 30 Tigers Music. And I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about Blackberry Smoke. There's like two bands I get mixed up. There's Blackberry Smoke, and then there's the other Cherry Berry band. Blackstone Cherry. Blackstone Cherry, that's it. And I always get those two confused. I know the Mooger Fuger is a huge fan of one of those bands, but I'm not sure which one it is. Blackberry Smoke is more Black Crows type stuff. Blackstone Cherry is more Nickelback type stuff. Hmm. So Blackberry Smoke is a little bit more Southern rock. Okay. Blackstone Cherry is a little bit more butt rock for lack of a better term. Then that's got to be the one the Mooger Fooger loves. <laughs> I like songs by both of them. But Yeah? Yeah. But they're, they're, that's the difference. Blackstone Cherry's a little heavier. Okay. Black, Blackberry Smoke is a little bit more Southern rock, rootsy. 
but I like both of them. Okay, well, if you're into that, they got a new album coming out on the 14th, and then up to the 16th, man, it's a big day for Frontiers Records. They got three, looks like pretty promising albums coming out. People love Crazy Licks. That band's been around for a while. They're a band that's picked up the torch of the legends from the 80s and kind of put their own little twist in it so that if you're into docking, rat, quiet riot bands like that you're probably gonna like crazy licks quite a bit they've got a shit ton of albums out they're one of the most proficient bands out there and they're keeping it coming on the 16th they got a new album out on frontiers called two shots at glory and so if you're a crazy licks fan you can look forward to that so then the same day on frontiers records man canadians rejoice it's a good day for you a new album by Honeymoon Sweet. Really? Yeah, who would have thought that in 2024? Classic rockers from Canada. Honeymoon Sweet got a new album coming out on the 16th called Alive, and that one is also on Frontiers. Speaking of Alive, let me just cut in real quick. One thing I didn't mention on Best of 2023 that on that came out on Frontiers, there's a Robin McCauley solo album called Alive. Oh, yeah. Really, really good. See, this is the hangover from the best of episode. This happens every single time we do it. You do it. It was it think, was in contention, but like oh, I just okay. wanted to give it a mention because I forgot to do it on the episode. Yeah, yeah. There's a, His, man. That dude's voice is still just as good now as it was in the eighties. Yeah, that Black Swan stuff he did was amazing. Yeah the um, the title track "Alive" in in particular. Man, he's hitting amazing notes on that. I think we might have played that on a Radio Sucks show at some point last year. I think we played a track off of that. Or maybe I or maybe I just listened to it. I don't know. But then when it came time to put together my list, I totally forgot about it. Too many albums. we got to put a limitation on it. Well, I, I really want to hear him and Michael Schenker get together again and do like a full album, just the two of them writing. You think they ever okay. will? I don't know. They they got close with that um, MSG Fest thing they did, where it was. Yeah. You had Robin, you had um, Gary Barden, you had Doogie. It was like all the different MSG singers. Oh, yeah, that that was cool. But like, I want to. I'd love to hear an MSG record with Robin and him fully collaborating again, because that stuff, in my opinion, is very underrated. Yeah, I like that stuff too. I'd like to hear that. Like that perfect timing album. That's a lost gem from that era, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, that never really caught on on this in the states as much. No, big in Europe, but like I remember seeing the video for uh, was the song called "Give Me All Your Love" or "Give Me Your Lovin'" or something. I can't remember what that song. That song had radio hit written all over it. It just didn't work though. Hmm, that's weird. It's weird how some stuff hits and other stuff don't. Yeah, a lot of hot checks in the video too. See, that don't ever hurt. Yeah. All right, so then also on the 16th, like I said, this is a big day for Frontiers. They've got the new album from James Durbin coming out called Screaming Steel. That guy's a big metal fan, hell of a singer. We got to see him do what? 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 He did a priest song? He did Victim of Changes. Victim of Changes, and it was good, man. I, I was, was at Mercy Lounge, right? That's right, yeah. I was completely was blown the, away uh, by that. Was that the Hookers and Blow concert? Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah, it was. Was it? it? The, yeah, because it was Dizzy Reed. Because Alex Grossi was playing guitar for him that night. Yeah. 
And yeah, it was hookers and blow, but it was like, I don't think James Urban was just there hanging out and walked up and did victim of changes. Oh yeah, that's right. Because I was at the bar and I turned around and there he was. And I was like, dude, that was fucking awesome. That dude, the range on that guy is insane. Yeah. So if you love, if you love excellent singers doing heavy metal music, I mean, was it, was he was from like one of those shows, right? He was on American Idol. American Idol. Wow. But I bet you he didn't get to sing stuff like this when he was on there. No, he did. He did. um, He did another priest song. I can't remember which one. But yeah, he was. No, he was doing metal stuff even on the show. That's cool. So I'm guessing by looking at this that Frontiers must have a lot of stuff coming out this year if they're stacking all three of these bands' releases on the same day. All right, and then I got just one more. The band Obsessed. Thought you want something a little heavy to ride things out. They got a new album coming out called Gilded Sorrow on Ripple Music. So, The Obsessed, James Durbin, Honeymoon Sweet, Crazy Licks, Blackberry Smoke, Robbie Krieger from The Doors, and of course, I can't recommend enough, Win, Lose, or Draw by Dawn of the Rising. Those are your albums to look forward to, and that is the Camaro segment. All right, so D. Snyder always knows how to get headlines, and he's done it again. Claims uh, he was on the VRP Rocks show, another Pantheon podcast show, by right the on. way, um, and claims that the song I Want to Rock by Twisted Sister was inspired by the galloping type uh, riffing of Iron Maiden. Yeah, I could hear that. I think a lot of that early Twisted Sisters probably got a good Maiden influence on it. Yeah, he says, uh, I remember with I Want to Rock sitting there doing the Iron, the Iron Maiden gallop, and all of a sudden I was just off to the races. And I got to the end of that, and I stopped recording for a second to move on to the next song idea, and I go, well, I think that was pretty good. And then I'd keep moving later on and go through thir- 25, 30 ideas that I'd recorded in 45 minutes and sift through. Now we're down to 15, 20, and then the band, we'd demo those. Then the band would vote on which 10 they liked best, and the band and crew and management, everybody would vote. And I Want to Rock was in that batch. But uh, he says, uh, he says I told Clive Burr when he was in Desperado with me. That was another side project he had. That was a good one. He said, dude, I've got to be honest. I want to rock. That was your groove, man. It was the Clive Burr gallop. Yeah. What your, what your patent applied for, baby. And uh, But, yeah, that's pretty interesting. I didn't know that. That's uh, It's funny, though, because when I first saw the headline, I thought it said that D. Snyder says that the Iron Maiden gallop was inspired by the Twisted Sister song, I Want to Rock, oh, which no. would have made a funnier headline because I was going to take him to task. You're like, hey, wait a minute. No, but I I, wanted, I totally hear it, though. It's like, dun 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 dun, dun, dun I want to rock. And it's yep. that dun 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 That's totally Maiden. Yeah, the big epic sound. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Um, like I said, it's a light news week, guys. Paul Stanley, um, we'll we'll hit this real quick, uh, says, huh. quote, Kiss fans got the, quote, wrong impression initially of the avatars as they showed them at the final show at Madison Square Garden and basically says that uh, it was just like a, a glimpse into what they're planning for the future. Why do you pick the last show you ever do to show a fucking commercial for, Hey, this is just one of the projects we're doing. So is he honestly expect us to believe that this 
carried as much weight as, you know, Kiss Popsicles coming out in the fall. Was it meant to? I don't think I don't think no, so. No, but like he's trying to like kind of make it out like, oh, it was just something we're working on. We wanted to give people a preview. It's not what it it's not what it's going to be. And it's like, then why show it? Right. Why would you sully your last performance with this? I just it's they completely handled this wrong. Yeah, come on with that the next day or announce it. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, putting a commercial at the end of your last show for something that you're now saying, well, it's not that big of a deal. Well, no, you made it like it was a big deal. And so when you do something like that, it better be something epic to say, this is what you get now. You know, it's going to be amazing. And then people look at it and go, that doesn't look amazing. I don't know. I don't think people did get the wrong impression of the avatars. I think they they seen what they're going to get, and they just didn't really like it. You know, somebody on the Kiss FAQ message board, they work in AI and CGI, and they work in that whole field. And they brought up an interesting point, and they said this happens a lot lately with rich people that are in the entertainment industry that don't understand technology and they get taken for a ride uh-huh. with lesser technology and big promises. And they get taken for a ride with a bunch of money getting thrown at it. And they don't realize that the technology is outdated. And they they were theorizing that Gene and Paul were victims of this. Hmm. Like this group, this pop house group came to them and were like, well, we handled the ABBA thing, and we can help Kiss. And that's the only thing giving me a little hope for this in the future is that they are the people handling the ABBA voyage thing. And I'm not an ABBA fan by any means, but like you can go on YouTube and look at what they did with that. Really? And it, and yeah, I'm not an ABBA fan. I have a hard time believing that. <laughs> Why? I don't know. ABBA just seems like something that'd be right up your alley. No, Mama Mia is a good song. But I don't. I'm not a fan. But um, but no, it's the the technology with that looks great because it looks like them from the 70s. Yeah. And that was handled really kind of cl- in a classy way. But with Kiss, with what they showed at the Madison Square Garden, it's just like it's like they took the Psycho Circus era comic books and said, okay, make this CGI. Yeah, it's and like it's like cartoon. I don't remember being bowled over with that back in the 90s. Don't touch my avatar. <laughs> yeah touch my avatar but leave it i mean leave it to paul stanley to like okay we're gonna at the end of the show we're gonna present this thing and like nobody likes it and it's like oh the fans got the wrong impression so it's not it's all back it's not kiss's fault for doing something lame or something stupid or cartoony or not the way you want to end it all with the commercial and then be like no no it wasn't us it was you you got the wrong impression oh thanks a lot paul stanley for putting your bullshit on the fans the one thing you have you have to think with paul and gene is they are shrewd when it comes to money and if they continue to see negative reaction to the whole avatar idea in general that maybe they'll come to their senses and be like, you know what? Let's just not do this avatar thing. Maybe they'll, they'll wise up unless the, they listen to us, you know, like we talked about and gave them all the ideas of ways that it could be cool. Don't do the silly thing that it looked like it would be, you know? Yeah. I mean, unless you have Peter Chris <laughs> threatening to quit the band through his avatar, <laughs> I'm not interested. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, but I'd like to see like recreations of classic Kiss stuff. But no, they could do the real thing. Go back to like recreate the Coventry with the band playing a club. Yeah. Do something like that. Have them playing Cobo Hall in 76. I'd I would pay for that. I would too. To get the you know, to get that experience that I was too young to get and have only ever witnessed on video of it. Or if I could re or if I could relive a version of Kiss playing Starwood Amphitheater on the Hot in the Shade tour, my first show. Yeah. I would I would pay hard money for that, for sure. So like in the future future, it won't be like off the soundboard albums. It'll be come to this arena or this club to see, you know, Kiss nineteen seventy four or Kiss nineteen seventy six on on the Destroyer tour and the stage is recreated and the the avatars look real and it's not old kiss it's young kiss from 1976 you know it's a recreation of that that would be something pretty cool to see smashing pumpkins um i don't know if you saw this did you see that they were advertising for a new guitar player i did not if i did i might have applied they had a like an open call for applications and uh, according to blabbermouth they got over 10,000 applicants wow i could have been 10,001 yep i figure i don't even have to be that good of a guitar player because billy corgan's going to be doing all the heavy lifting right uh, maybe i don't know i guess there was a guy named jeff schroeder that was the guitar player before right yep and uh they had said the band has received over 10,000 submissions Currently, there's eight people working full-time to review each and every one. That wow. was on Tuesday, January 16th. Wow. So I wonder who's going to get it. I'm sure some of our friends have probably applied. Why doesn't he just go get George Lynch? Or somebody like that. George Lynch and Smashing Pumpkin? Yeah. That's an interesting idea. I mean, if Nuno can play with Rihanna, George Lynch can play with the Smashing Pumpkins. I think the guitarist for Halloween should be the new guitarist for the smashing pumpkins it just makes sense that does make sense yeah but get, there's your smashing pumpkins headline of the week but just get like a ripping expect. guitar player i i vote for george lynch in smashing pumpkins you know billy corgan loves george lynch his playing so why not you know Can't, yeah billy corgan big fan of hair metal from yeah. the 80s a lot of people don't know that that's true carrie king has launched uh his new uh solo project mm called Carrie King with of course an up down upside down cross in the middle of the name because uh wouldn't be Carrie King without some blasphemy thrown in that's right hail Satan says yeah King. says that he wrote quote 100% of the songs on the upcoming album and says quote I love the whole thing wow. well of course he does he wrote it I hope so <laughs> thanks Blabbermouth I, for the obvious article of the week I wrote every song and I think they all suck yeah, no, they all suck. Of They're course, terrible. he's not going to say that. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. Tom Araya was the talent. I'm a, I'm a hack. No, yeah, we he were, wouldn't say that. We were talking about that a long, long time ago. Jeff Hanneman wrote all the memorable riffs. I mean, no, I'm projecting now. Mm. <laughs> I'm not a Kerry King fan. If you haven't figured that out, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he's off and running doing the uh, thing, trying to carry on the Slayer material. I'm sure he's going to play old school Slayer music in the set. So uh, if you're an old school Slayer fan, check it out. I'll, I mean, I'll listen to it. We'll see what it sounds like. I don't know that it's going to be 
amazing from start to finish, but we'll see. Is Carrie King singing on this stuff too? Uh, let's look. I don't think so. God, I hope not. I've never heard Carrie King sing. I don't know what he would sound like. Uh, well, the the fact that he, you've never heard him sing probably tells you all you need to yeah. know. Um, it doesn't really say here about any other band members. So, no, there's interviews with his wife in this article, but no, I, I don't know if he's, I'm sure he's got a band backing him up. Maybe, maybe he's just pulling an Ingbe Malmsteen. I'm just going to sing it myself. They're playing uh, the Welcome to Rockville Festival. It's um, hmm. produced by Josh Wilbur, who worked with Lamb of God, Megadeth, Gojira, Trivium, and Korn. Uh, doesn't really say anything about band members. I'm assuming he'll put his own band together. Yeah. Hey, could be really cool. You never know. Uh, a couple more left. Uh, actually, just one left, and this was Loudwire. I will give credit over Blabbermouth. They do f- fun stories where... It's not just whatever Corey Taylor saying this week. This was a good one. Top 25 metal mascots, which I didn't know there were 25 mascots yeah. for metal bands. I purpose, I purposefully did not look at this because I didn't want to know. Well, some of these I've never heard of. Okay. Like there's a band called Cataclysm with a K and there's like a mascot called Heart Beast. Never heard of that one. Mm. So we'll just go through the ones we've heard of. Okay, so, so I'm going to right off the bat, I'm going to guess number one. It's got to be Eddie from Iron Maiden, right? Uh, let's look. Let's see. I'm assuming you're right, but let me check the article. Yes, Eddie is number one, of course. Okay. I think of, let's see, mascots. This is better. Let's try to pick the top five. Hmm. I think who, what mascot has appeared on multiple album covers? That's got to be a thing, too. I'd say uh, Vic Rattlehead from Megadeth. That's number two. Okay, I'm on a roll. I'm on a roll. Yep. Yeah, um, let's see. Let's see if Aaron can nail the top five. Oh man, this one's gonna be tough. Let's see. I'm trying to think bands. Not a lot of bands had mascots. What about Hmm, I think I'm gonna lose it at three, but I'm gonna say uh Alistair Fiend from Motley Crue. He's not number three, but let me see if he's elsewhere on the list okay. real quick. Because I would have thought of that one, too. What am I missing? Hang on. Let me see if Alistair Fiend's on here. He should be on here. But no, he's not. Wow. That's a a crime. Wow. I had a full-size door poster of Alistair Fiend when I was uh, like 10 or 11. Yeah? Yep. Okay. And then on the other side of my door was Samantha Fox. Nice. Yeah. I met her at a mall in Atlanta. She signed the poster. You are of your times. Yeah. Probably um, around the time she was dating Paul Stanley, too. It was like 88, 89. Uh, no, Al- no Alistair Fiend. You want to know okay. what number three is? Um, How about Murray from Dio? Murray is number four. Okay. What's number three? What's number three? Is it? No, it ain't going to be the shark from Great White. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, When you hear it, you'll be like, of course. Is it? Yeah, I don't know. What is it? Snaggletooth from Motorhead. Of course. Of course it is. Number three. Yeah. I don't. And then you have number five. Can you get number five? The thing from Overkill, the skull with the wings? No. It's on multiple albums, but I don't know if it's got a name. 
it sh- if it's going to be top five, it should be on multiple albums and have a name. And so far, all those fit. You just want me to tell you? Yeah, what is it? Number five is Jack O'Lantern from Halloween. Yeah, yeah, that works. It's got a name and multiple albums. That makes sense. Number six is The Guy from Disturbed. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's it, he's on multiple album covers too, I believe. Then you go through a couple where I didn't know it, like Violent Mind from Creator, which I didn't really know. Uh, Roy from Children of Bodom. I don't really follow them. And then the one you mentioned, I guess the, the name of the Motorhead or the uh, Overkill Skull is Charlie. C-H-A-L-Y. Charlie. Okay. Charlie. All right. I did not like, know that. Like Charlie. Right. Um, yeah, that's number nine. Like New York Charlie or New Jersey yeah. Charlie, I guess. Yeah. Charlie. And then uh, number 10, Naren Hines from the band Sodom. Didn't know that. I know that one. Number 11 was Death Bat from Avenged Sevenfold. Which is basically just a ripoff of Charlie. Exactly. Uh, 12 is Knucklehead from Five Finger Death Punch. I didn't know they had a mascot. Yeah, I guess. I think I can picture it. 13 is Henry slash Fallen Angel from Black Sabbath. Hmm. I don't know if that counts as a mascot. That's just kind of a logo. Yeah, that's only used once in a while. Yeah, see, Alistair Fiend should be on that list by then yeah, for Alistair sure. Yeah, Fiend's not on any of these. Um, Sergeant D from S.O.D. Yeah, that makes sense. That's number 14, even had, number 15. Even had his own song. Number 15, Set Abomine from Iced Earth. Hmm. Number 16, Korgul from Voivod. Number 17 is The Man with the Iron Mask from Quiet Riot. That should be higher. Oh, yeah, that should be higher. Yeah. Uh, number 18, Chris Dar from Danzig and Sam Hain. You know, the. Yeah, the I, that makes sense, horn. but I didn't know it had a name. What's it called? Neither. It's called Chris Dar. Uh, Chris, Chris Dar. Hmm. Like Crystal with an R. That's weird. I had no idea. Uh, or the Crystal Warrior. I didn't know that either. Uh, 19 is the Scary Guy Metallica logo. Like the, Yeah, with the, but that's just a logo. That's not... They don't have a name, and it was not no album covers, except for like Binge and Purge, maybe. Yeah. Um, number 20, Mad Butcher from Destruction. I don't follow Destruction. And then... Devin Townsend's got a logo. Uh, Death Clock, Face Bones. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one because that's got a name. I don't follow Death Clock. That's got a name and it's on the album covers. Do you ever watch that TV show? I've never seen it. You really ought to watch that show, man. Yeah, it's, I'm not a cartoon person. It's pretty great. I should watch it. Because it's metal and it's funny. It's kind of Spinal Tap-ish, but it's like the story of a band that become so popular that they become like the world's top economy. Yeah. But it's a metal band and they're nuts. I, mean, I know what it is, but I just haven't watched it. Uh, 23 Jester head from in flames. Uh, 24, the 25 is that one for cataclysm. And then the other one we would know would be 24 is the not man from anthrax. Yeah. The not man. That's a good one. See, that should be higher. I think. I think so too. And, but yeah, and also but there's like some for the kids in here. Just saying, "Kiss by Kiss." 
Right. Or, Big John Hart. <laughs> yeah. He was a mascot. Yeah, kind of was. <laughs> That's my number one mascot. But yeah, how is Alistair Fiend not on there? Yeah, that don't seem right. Although they didn't really carry Alistair on in, into the 90s. It was it ended in... Dr. Feelgood, I think, was the last time they really used the Alistair character. Right, that's true, too. And he wasn't really on any of the album covers, but he was on a lot of posters and T-shirts. Right. But those of us that were fans, we all knew who that was. Right, and he had a name. Yeah. And he's a true mascot. But that's all I got for this week. All right, so there you have it. That is your news and happenings in the world of hard rock and heavy metal this week, brought to you by the Decibel Geek Podcast. This has been Geek Wire, brought to you by Pantheon, the place that has all the best music podcasts all together in one place just for you. Look up Pantheon Podcasts the next time you think you might be in the mood for something new, because you're going to find it there right down to the bands you know they got a metallica podcast i think i saw that they had a bare naked ladies podcast can you believe that i cannot it's real they've got one i don't want to listen to it myself personally but i think it's cool that there's people out there that are such fans of bands that they can make a podcast about one band you know if if they don't this is an opportunity they're missing out on if they don't do it at the beginning of every episode, it should say, it's been one week since you listened to me. Oh, no. <laughs> I bet they do do that. You would have to. It's a weekly podcast. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Bare naked ladies. Who would have ever thought? But it's real. So that just goes to show, no matter what you like, no matter what kind of music you're into, Pantheon Podcast has got you covered. So give them a chance. Tell them the Decibel Geek Podcast sent you. They sponsor this show. So give them a like on the social medias and follow what they got going on. It's good stuff. And you know what? It's 2024 now. We've got some cool stuff coming your way. I'm not sure what's coming next, but Chris and I will figure that out. And we'll be back next week. See ya. Heaven tonight
achieve the American dream, the big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.